Jesus had amazing authority. I mean, people are asking, where does he get this authority to teach? Where does he get this authority to heal? Where does he get the authority to cast out devils? Where does he get this authority? And he had not only authority, but he had the power to do what his authority was. There, and I've used this illustration a lot, and that is you can have authority but not have the power. You know, a police officer has the authority to stop a big truck, but he doesn't have the power to stop that big truck. So when we talk about Jesus' authority, it's, it's important as we go through this particular text tonight to remember the source of Jesus' authority. When I was a kid, sometimes we would get into an argument, my cousins and I or friends, and sometimes the argument would get a little heated, and we would say this, who said? Do you ever say that as a kid? Yeah, says who, you know? And so what we were doing, we were trying to establish an authority. My dad said it. My teacher said it. My pastor said it. And so there was always this question of authority in our lives. I've often laughed, and I talk still to this day, even though I've said this so many times as a youth pastor, so many of my kids would say, I am so tired of my parents telling me what to do. So they go and join the army. And then they go to boot camp. And their whole life is ruled. Their whole life is, is being dictated to them. And they're being told what to do. Now, I've had a lot of young men. One of our young men came back to the church here and uh, after having gone into the Marines. And he and I were out to lunch. And he said, going to the Marines was the best thing that ever happened to me. He says, Pastor, I had no authority in my home. Nobody ever told me what to do or what not to do. And, I got into, and he did. He got into a lot of trouble. But in the Marines, he became a man because he learned how to submit to authority, and he became very responsible. But there's also parental authority, parents that know how to use their authority wisely and lovingly. There's the authority that a teacher has. There's the authority that an elected official has. There's an authority that, that you have in your life. Whatever sphere of life you have, all of us have authority. But the great thing, the great thing is when you have experiential authority. Do you remember Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid? Wax on, wax off, you know? When you have the experience and people listen to you and you have not an authority you're trying to assert, as a matter of fact, you're like Mr. Miyagi. You're very humble about that authority, but people know what you're talking about and people who don't know what you're talking about, they may look at you, you're very small, you're an immigrant, you have a funny accent, but if you try to violate the space, then you discover Mr. Miyagi is quite an authority in his field. And so there's experiential authority. So let's look at the scriptures tonight because the problem with Jesus for the religious leaders was not only what he said, but what he did. Not only what he said, but what he did. So again, next day, this is, this is what we would call Holy Tuesday. You know, this is the Tuesday of the Passion Week, and we're going to be in the book of Mark right up until uh, Good Friday. So again, the next day after Jesus had cursed the fig tree, we talked about that last week and cleared the temple, again they entered the Jerusalem, and as Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. Now, those three groups we've seen over and over challenging Jesus' authority. We've seen them over and over plotting against Jesus. So this same three groups, the religious police, I've kind of referred to them as we went along. 
They demanded, by what authority are you doing all of these things? Who gave you the right to do them? They assumed they had the authority, and they didn't like Jesus's authority. Jesus wasn't really challenging them. They were challenging Jesus. But what Jesus taught and what Jesus did challenged the way they were using their authority. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. Well, this really got them in consternation. They talked over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? And listen to this. This shows how they're trying to deceive themselves. They're deceiving the people. They were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And that's not true. They did know. They just weren't willing to admit it. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, would you speak to our hearts tonight? Thank you for godly authority. Help us to understand the difference between authority that is credible, good, godly, that helps us grow, and authority, Lord, that is bad and destructive. Help us as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight to become wise and, Lord, to use the authority that you have given us in whatever sphere of life that we're in to use it to serve others with. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The question of authority shapes how I live. The authority that I submit to, the authority that I follow, it has a real shaping influence on my life. My surrender, my personal commitment of my life to Jesus Christ has shaped everything in my life. This afternoon, I was talking with someone, and that question came up, and I said, you know, I'm speaking about that tonight, and that is that by submitting my life to Jesus, not only am I alive, I don't believe I would be alive, number one, but not only am I alive, it has shaped how I've married, the, the woman I chose to be my wife, it has shaped my education, it has shaped, you know, our family, how we raised our children, it shaped my vocation, it, it shaped my finances, it shaped everything about my life. But the question of authority is also unavoidable. I love that old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but it's unavoidable you're going to serve somebody. A lot of times people say, well, what do you mean serve the devil or serve the Lord? I'm serving, I'm doing what I want to do. Listen, any authority in your life, whether it's your will or the devil's will, the devil is happy as long as you're not submitting to God's will. And that's an important thing to understand. And a lot of people who think they're free, they're doing their own thing, they're free of religion, that's exactly where the enemy wants them to be in life. The third thing, the question of authority is connected to the important questions of my life. The questions of authority is connected to the important question of my life. And I just listed some for you there. It's connected to origin. If I believe the Bible and if I believe what God has said in His Word, then I believe that I'm created in the image of God. If I believe that I am just an accidental 
accident of evolution that somehow or another ended here, then I'm little better than any of the animals of the earth. Matter of fact, some people believe that we're no different than any of the other animals in the earth. And maybe we don't deserve to be here because of the way we're, we're treating the planet. I'm reading a book that Harper Publishers has sent to me and asked me to do a review on. And, and the author basically says, do we really have any more right to be here than the bugs and the worms and the ground? Maybe human beings need to go extinct. And the, the negativity of this author is because their authority is someone other than God. And they become futile in their thinking. So it has to do with questions of origin. It has to do with purpose. What am I here for? How am I to live my life? It has to do with significance. Does my life really have meaning and value? But it also has to do with morality. Because if there is a God, then I'm answerable to Him. If there's not a God, then I'm answerable to myself and myself alone. Or if I live under the dictatorial rule of a despot, then I'm answerable to them and what they want in my life. But it also addresses the question of destiny. What's going to happen when I die? One of the fond memories I have of one of the poorest jobs I ever did of trying to share Christ was, was in Washington Park in Macon, Georgia, witnessing to a hippie back in the 70s. And, and I will never forget him saying, man, when we, he took a big drag off of, of the grass he was smoking, and he, he looked at me blowing out all the smoke. He says, man, when we die, we're just flowing into the great cosmic river of life. I was young, dumb, and angry at the moment with his question. I says, when you die, you're going to bust hell wide open. And suddenly he sobered up, and we really had a good conversation, you know. 16 years old, talking to a 20-something-year-old hippie. But it was a shaping moment in my life, and I had to apologize because I was wrong in my response and how I answered him. Not that the truth was wrong, but it was my, my attitude to it. Let's put it that way. Confession is good for the soul. The question then was this, Mark 11, verse 28. By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? That's an important question for each of us to consider. By what authority do I stand up and preach the Word of God? By what authority do I ask people to give of their finances and to give of their time and to give of their talent? It has been so interesting to me. Every single day I've had conversations with people from our congregation and people who listened online about the message on Sunday about Sabbath. And so I've been writing blog posts about happy Sabbath because Sabbath is a joy for us. But people tell me, Pastor, that was such a convicting message, and I didn't mean for it to be convicting, but that was what the Holy Spirit was. Several people have said, I've got to get my life back in order. I've got to get my priorities back in order. One parent said to me, you know, I have put Sunday and worship, like you said, third or fourth priority in my life. And no longer is, is teaching my children to go to church and worship God. Has that become first priority in my life? So this question of authority, we live with it every single day. And who gave you the right, if you're a parent... If you're an elected official, if you're a pastor, who gives you the right to do what you're doing? So number one, who has the right to rule my life? Who has the right to rule my life? So Jesus looks at these men who ask this question, and he poses a question back to them the way any good rabbi would do. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? 
Now, Jesus knows he's putting them on the spot. And if they'd have answered his question honestly, there would have been trouble in Dodge. There would have been problems. But Jesus, I think, would have kept his word. Well, I know he would have kept his word and answered their question. But when he saw their consternation, when he saw the fear and the panic in their eyes, notice how he just kind of applied the pressure. Answer me. Have you ever said that to a child? You ask a child a question and they just stand there and they look at you and you go, answer me. You ever done that? Have you ever talked to an employee and you've asked them a question about something and you see they don't want to say anything and say, answer me. I can remember when I was working a job years ago, my boss came to me one day and he said, ask me a question and it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with a group of other people. And I just kind of looked like a deer in headlights, I guess, because I, I didn't say anything. And he looked at me and says, Dennis, answer me because I know you will not lie. Well, that was a compliment, but it was pressure as well. And so I answered his question honestly. And the next day, the group of people that were disciplined, I will never forget this, they came to me. And I know this doesn't happen all the time, but they came to me and they said, listen, we want you to know we respect you for being a man of integrity and for speaking the truth. We're all good. We're all good. I don't know if my boss told him to do that or if it really came from just good hearts. But here's the point. There are times in life where God may ask you a question and you may freeze, but that doesn't get you off the hook. He says, answer me. Now, let me tell you what the Latin word authority means. The same root word for authority and authentic. And it means to give room for growth. To give room for growth. Godly authority gives room for growth. So it is absolutely foolish. It is absolutely the most ridiculous thing that you could imagine. And that is to resent the authority of God. Jonathan Lehman in his book, Authority, lists six characteristics of good authority. Now, he compares bad authority, but I don't have time to go into all that tonight. But six characteristics of good authority. Number one, authority is a good, but it's a dangerous gift. You may want to write these down. They're not in your outline. It's a good, but it's a dangerous gift. In other words, when you have authority, you need to remember you have the ability to help someone grow. But if you use that authority improperly, you have the ability to stunt their growth. There are, and Becky and I were talking about this this evening just before church, there are people that we know that are still wrestling and trying to dig through the shadows that are repressed in their life because of parents who, who badgered them and push them and just hammered on them all the time and they don't have self-confidence or maybe they had a job and the job didn't go well and the boss and their, their fellow employees were just so, they lost their ability. Authority is a good and a dangerous gift. Number two, authority doesn't steal, but it creates life. Authority doesn't steal, but it my prayer has always been that there would be something life-giving about my ministry. Authority is not unaccountable, but submits to a higher authority. It's not unaccountable, but it submits to a higher authority. It's the reason that I have never wanted to pastor a non-denominational church. Years ago, just before I moved here, there was a large non-denominational church that uh, sent a committee to meet with us, and they would ask us to come, and, and I declined. 
Uh, they sent another group of people to meet with us, and we declined again. And so the pastor and his wife flew in and says, why? I said, frankly, I don't want to pastor a congregation that is not a part of a fellowship like the Assemblies of God. I need covering. Your church needs covering. And this is my prediction. The reason you're here is you're struggling to find a leader that you can trust for your congregation. And if you don't submit to, whether it's a, a group like the Assemblies of God or another group that is in line with your faith, this church will eventually die. And it did. And it was full of just uber, super professional people. God, I had preached for them several times. But the problem is you cannot be unaccountable. I have a board that I'm accountable to, a congregation that I'm accountable to. That doesn't mean I have bosses. It means that I answer to people. It means that I have people that speak into my life, and I make myself accountable to them. So if you're, if you want, if you're Elon Musk and you've got a huge company, if you're really smart, you've got people that you listen to and you're accountable to if you want the industry, and especially if you're putting chips into people's brains right now, you know, trying to, you know, create some sort of connection between AI and machines and, and human beings. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just I'm curious to see what's going to happen because we've seen what prosthetic limbs could do for people. But, boy, is that a dangerous place to be right now when you start playing with people's brains. Accountable is not unteachable but seeks wisdom. It's not unteachable but seeks wisdom. Authority is neither permissive nor authoritarian but administers discipline. And authority is not self-protective, but it bears the cost of the responsibility that's been placed upon its shoulders. The second thing I think you need to see, and the reason Jesus is confronting them, is God's authority will always confront my selfishness. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's confronting the selfishness of the religious leaders, of the priests, of the scribes, Look at, and I use Matthew uh, 23, 2 from the Amplified Version. This, and this is in the same context. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat of authority. You don't want to give that up. You don't want to give that up. L look at me. Understand this. Once you've been delegated authority, it's hard to give that up. It's hard to lay that aside. The true test of your leadership is knowing when it's time to lay aside your leadership and step aside. Do, do, you, do you follow what I'm saying? And they, why their problem with Jesus was what he was saying and doing was in conflict with how they were living their lives. They looked very religious on the outside. They had all of the show. They had the trumpets. They had the temple. They had the sacrifices. They had the robes. They had, you know, their acolytes. And so it, they looked very holy. You've heard me say this a number of times. A pulpit has the ability to make you look holier than what you really are. And so it's important to see right here that God's authority will always confront my selfishness. It might be through the preaching of the word. It might be the singing of a song. It might be a brother or sister that loves you enough to confront you. If you see me, listen, this is important. When I go to the doctor, and I've been going through a number of tests here lately, 
when I, they always check my vitals every single time. They check them before, they check them after, they check them during some of these tests that I'm going through. And they tell me the same thing over and over. These vitals tell us a lot about your health. If one of those vitals goes sideways or goes south, I'm in trouble. My life is in jeopardy. There are vitals in my life that if you see me failing in an area of my marriage and my integrity, if you see me failing in an area of my, of my faithfulness, you don't love me if you just look over that and say, you know, that's okay. You confront me because you love me. I confront you because I love you. And confrontation doesn't mean you come in trying to be a bully or trying to be a Pharisee or to judge. You come because you love someone. And that, that whole passage that we look at sometimes where, where we restore someone that has fallen, it's like healing a mended broken limb. Number three, I will always, and I put this in the first person so that you and I could just really take this on herself. I will always anchor authority that is delegated to me on love for God and serving Him. I will always anchor authority that is delegated to me on love for God and serving Him. And I pray that you really, really think about this point. Because the Pharisees, or these religious leaders, they were neither loving God nor loving the people. They were afraid of the people. I have never in my life been afraid of the people I pastor or serve. Never. I've never had a need to be afraid of the people I pastor or serve. But at the same time, I have never sought to please the people that I pastor and that I serve. Does that make sense? And that sounds like an oxymoron. Our job is to please God. And if I seek to please God, I find out I can live in a pleasing way with my wife and my children, in my community, in the congregation. And so we do what we do out of love for God, not out of grasping. A question I get asked frequently, and I was asked this question last night by a, I just had a wonderful conversation with a, a man last night. And he, he'd ask about certain opportunities that have come up. He said, how do you get those opportunities? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know. And he goes, you're not pulling strings? You know, no, I'm not. There's, not. there's nothing. When you live your life pleasing to God, listen, God will open doors for you. That doesn't mean you're passive. You're involved. You're serving. You're doing not what, I don't want to do what Bob's been delegated to do. I would be a miserable teacher. I would be a miserable carpenter. And you would be miserable if I did it, you know. You'd say, Pastor, can you come back over here and take a look at what you just did with my cabinets, you know. And that's because I'm not a carpenter. I serve a carpenter. His name is Jesus. But I'm not a carpenter. And so you want to really look at this. Authority is delegated. It's always been delegated. Even what Jesus was doing, remember Philippians, yeah, Philippians chapter 2, how Jesus emptied himself? He said, I only do what I see my father doing, only say what I hear my father saying. So the question in our life is, are we doing what we see God doing in the Gospels? Are we doing what we see Jesus doing? Are we saying what we hear Jesus saying? We had a party at our house some years ago. We had over 250 people come to our house that day. And I had kids running out because we kept the driveway free because we had 
stuff coming in the whole time, you know. That was a lot of food, a lot of drinks, a lot of stuff going on. And so every once in a while, somebody would pull in the driveway, and these kids would run right up to the car as soon as they pull up the driveway and says, Pastor Clanton is expecting somebody to come and bring some food or bring some drinks, and he's asked that you not park in the driveway. Now, every one of those people could have just knocked that kid out of the way and parked their car and got out. But because they respected me, they obeyed a child. Does that make sense? Because they respected me, they obeyed a child. When you submit to God as a child of God, you have absolutely no idea how much authority has been delegated to you. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now you go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them. Preach the gospel. Pray for the sake. Isn't, isn't that cool? It's a delegated authority. And always remember, who backs your authority up? I don't have the power. God has the power. I have the authority, but the power comes from the Holy Spirit. I'm getting a little bit excited here, so I better keep moving. Here's where you find God's authority. God's authority is in His Word. God's authority is in His Word. In a parallel passage to this, Jesus said in Luke 19, 46, the Scriptures declare, and you know the rest of that, but let me show you the two places in the Old Testament He was quoting from. In Isaiah 56 and verse 7, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And because I was having someone else help me with this today, I didn't put the whole verse in there. The Lord says, my temple will be a house of joy. I pray over our congregation all the time. Lord, make this a joyful place. Make this a happy place. Make this a place where people come and they feel their burdens lifted and removed. Prayer makes a joyful life. But also, he quoted from Jeremiah 7, 11. Don't you yourselves admit this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? And so instead of being a house of joy and a house of prayer, it had become a den of thieves. So the authority, whether or not they caught it, he had said it the day earlier. And that was the authority is what God says. That's the authority is the word of God. Secondly, God's authoritative word confronts my sin. God's authoritative word confronts my sin. Now, you might think I would say, the sin of the world or the sin of, you know, God's authority confronts my sin. It's the reason Jesus taught. It took me years to really get this. It's the reason Jesus taught us each and every single day to pray, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those. And there are some days I honestly, I kneel down to pray that and I say, Lord, I can't think of anything that I've done. That's a good thing. But I know the day's not over with yet. Do, do you see what I'm saying? The day's not over with. So don't look so smug at me tonight. You know, laugh with me. The day's not over yet, okay? And so remember, he always confronts us. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, as we call him, he wrote this letter. It was an open letter. And let me just quote you a little bit from it to Pope Leo X. The Roman church, once the holiest of all, has become the most licentious den of thieves, the most shameless of all brothels, the kingdom of sin, death, and hell. It is so bad that even the Antichrist, if he should come, could think of nothing to add to its wickedness. Wow. But at that time, 
the church had become so corrupt that it had lost its light. It had, lost, it had authority because it was in bed with governments. It was in bed with kings. And so we see what happens when the church gets in bed with government. Eventually, government will corrupt the church if we're seeking government to be our source. They love the revenue the government was bringing. They love the obeisance of the kings and the emperors that would kiss the ring of the pope. And so the church had become rich, but the church had become corrupt. And this little priest, this squat little man from Germany, wrote this letter, and it survives to this day. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Boy, we don't like correction, do we? We don't like that at all. Look at this next verse. I, the, this name may mean something to a few of you in here, but Thomas F. Zimmerman preached my, my ordination service when I, was a, uh, when I was ordained to the ministry in my early 20s. And, and I will never forget that message. And this is the verse of Scripture that he prayed over us. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Boy, None of us like to be rebuked. None of us like to be corrected. We live in a culture that is like that, but that's not anything new. John Calvin, John Calvin was dealing with a group of people in his congregation, and so he preached in one of his sermons on 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. He preached in his sermons, and he had this imaginary conversation with these members of his congregation. The congregation, oh, we want to be won by sweetness. John Calvin, Pastor Calvin says, you do? then go and teach God his lesson, like God doesn't know what he's talking about in his word. Oh, we want to be taught in another style. Pastor Calvin, well, then go to the devil's school. He will flatter you enough and destroy you. But believers will humble themselves and are willing to be treated severely so they may profit in God's school. I have thought about the conversations I've had this week with so many who've told me, it's this, this common phrase, I was convicted. And you know, I was telling Becky, I said, there was nothing that I tried to do to bring conviction. I wanted people to see the grace gift that Sabbath was. But the Word did something in a number of people's hearts that says, I need to get my life back in order. Worship, time with my family, my friends, my small group. Uh, one day a week, I will be more focused. I'll be more productive we were, according to Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 5 as well, we once were slaves to sin. We were slaves. We talked about how the Hebrew children, they had been slaves, and to be given one day off, that just didn't happen in that culture for a slave to have one day off every week. And they rejoiced in that. That was the ultimate of freedom and liberty. But they trusted God to provide. And so we trust God to provide. And I think sometimes when we're not trusting God, that's where the Holy Spirit will come in and do that sweet work of conviction in our lives. Not condemnation. Look at me. And those of you watching online tonight, there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy. God convicts you with his authority to give you room to grow, to give you room for authenticity in your life. We'll look at two passages of uh, Scripture here. They both say the same thing. 
And we'll look at our growth word. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Proverbs 1.7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Whatever role of authority you have, whether you're a parent, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a principal, whether you're an elected official, whether you're an employer, whether you're a manager or foreman, whatever role you have, the great need you're going to always have if you have authority is courage. The courage and the conviction to do what's right so that other people will grow. And that's why I've often said that what we need are not politicians. We need statesmen, people who do the right thing no matter what the cost is. Remember, authority bears the cost, and that's so important. So three things. Commitment is the only way to truly know the Lord. If you want to know God, be a fully persuaded, passionate follower of Christ. Number two, purge from my life anything that prevents me from being fully committed to the Lord Whatever it takes, just purge it from your life. And number three, learn to live an overcoming life. I, at first I wrote that, live a winning life. But I think the way the scripture says, live an overcoming life. You are an overcomer. You've got to see yourself that way. And if you have repressed shadows in your soul and your spirit that says, you know, I'll never make it. I'll never succeed. I'll, I'll never get there. It's like that couple that, you know, I referred to in the opening of my sermon Sunday morning that, that the, the, the advice editor gave such good advice to, is if you see yourself as losing, you're going to lose. But if you see yourself in the victory that Christ has provided for you, there is no power of hell that can stand against you when you stand at the authority of the Lord. Amen? Let me pray for you tonight. Father, thank you so much for this evening. And Lord, thank you for your authority in our life, for your authority has bought salvation, it's bought health, it's bought prosperity, it's bought healing. Oh God, you have given us room to grow and stretch and even lengthen our tent cord so that we might grow more. So I ask your blessings upon each and every one tonight. Father, would you help us now in our Q&A time to be able to discuss how this applies to our lives even more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching about how to honor your parents. So you want your children here especially. You want to bring your teenagers here, your college students here. But we're also going to talk about not only how kids honor their parents, but how we honor our aging parents as well. So I'll see you Sunday morning. God bless.